we can we can gather with you guys again. Um, these are indeed strange and bizarre times, and uh, I hope this is the last time. It's actually the first time I've ever preached on Zoom, so hopefully it's the first and the last time. And I hope it's the the last time for many pastors um, all over all over the world that are preaching on Zoom. Um, okay, so. Uh, I have been tasked with capping off this uh, this series in jo- Joseph, and so we're going to be spending our time uh, mostly looking at the end of the story of Joseph, so that would be chapter 49 uh, and chapter 50. Um, I want to encourage all of you to have a copy of God's Word um, in your hands. So if you, uh, I see some of you guys lifting it up there, if you have a copy of God's Word, um, just, uh, yeah, open it up in, in your hands uh, if you have it on your screen. Um, I want you guys to be able to see these texts um, that we're going to be talking about. I am going to jump around a little bit. Um, we're going to spend time in chapter 49 and 50, uh, but I'm also going to look a little bit at the story of Joseph as a whole. Uh, and then we're going to jump forward to the New Testament as well. So um, great to have your Bibles open. I'm going to go ahead and pray just one more time. Uh, before I preach, and then uh, we'll get into this. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for um, being faithful. Um, You are faithful, and your faithfulness never ends. And uh, these indeed are strange uh, and bizarre times. And uh, we're thankful that we have a God who sits uh, enthroned above the heavenlies, a God who is reigning and ruling supreme uh, in the universe. Um, We have a God who's not surprised by anything uh, that is happening here in the world. Um, These are trying times. um, They're confusing times. And we just want to be still and know that you are God. And uh, mostly, Lord, we want you to uh, comfort our hearts. Um, We want you to comfort our hearts using the means uh, that you have created, which uh, is is your word and your son, Jesus Christ. And we want to be comforted uh, by your word because we know that it is uh, really, it's the only true uh, and lasting source of joy and peace uh, that we can have. Um, and that is in your word. Lord, we also, uh, we want to turn our attention a little bit in our prayers to, um, not a little bit, a lot to the persecuted church um, all over the world. I'm thinking specifically about uh, a group of people that represent a major world religion. They're celebrating um, a day of uh, sort of a, a breaking of, of their fast. And uh, we want to pray that um, in the midst of that time that you would work in miraculous ways, that you would open hearts and eyes um, to the way of the gospel you would open hearts and eyes to uh, peace that can only be found in Christ. And we want to pray for, um, for people that uh, have come to know you, that come out of that religion, uh, that you would give them um, boldness and courage um, and peace, knowing that uh, you are God, you are God, and that you will be their comfort and that you will have victory and that you've saved them and that you will use them to bring many, many people to the Lord. So Lord, we do pray uh, for the church all over the nation, uh, all over the world. We pray for the church in Malaysia um, that you would encourage them here today. And we pray for these things um, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, I have titled my sermon, Joseph, A Life Marked by Faith in the Wise Providence of God. 
Joseph, a life marked by faith in the wise providence of God. And my leadoff question to you all is this. Um, as, as you look at the life in the story of Joseph, what is it that you see? As you, as you look and think back on the life and story of Joseph, what is it that you see? The well-known um, American pastor theologian, John Piper, he often speaks about um, the practice and discipline of studying scripture. Um, he, he warns Christians time and time again that it actually is possible uh, for Christians to take in large quantities of scripture. Uh, they can read it in a, in a Bible reading plan, maybe in a Bible study, um, and, and take in a, just a ton of, of scripture. But he warns that Christians uh, can do this and then barely scratch the surface of the rich mine of truth um, that is often beneath the surface, uh, this, this truth that, that is beneath the surface that paints a glorious picture of the God that we worship. And Piper, he, he uses this metaphorical juxtaposition of raking versus digging when reading scripture. And he says that so often Christians, um, we just rake over scripture. So if you get this imagery of raking uh, leaves or, or rocks. You're kind of moving things around. You're just skimming the surface. Um, but we, we often fail, including, including myself, we often fail to go deep. Uh, we, we often fail to dig and dig and work the soil uh, until we find nuggets of gold uh, that give us an angle on God's glory that, that ultimately results in, in worship. Well, I want, I want to show us today that the story of Joseph um, it's not a story that can simply be raked over. Um, Joseph's life was a wonderful picture of God's mercy, no doubt. His, his character is to be commemorated, and we want to look to his character, and we want to see the virtue in his life. Um, but if we, if we see this story that we've been, we've been working through the last um, month or so, if we see this story uh, as merely a character study uh, about the virtue of Joseph, um, well, I think we failed to see the significance of this story in, in the grand scheme of redemption, in, in the whole of salvation history. So uh, here's what we're going to do. I was assigned um, chapter 49 and 50. It's a huge section of scripture. Um, I want you guys to read that on your own, um, maybe after the service, maybe during the week. Uh, just read those chapters in full, pray through them, uh, mark them. Uh, do that on your own, but for the sake of time, uh, I'm going to hang us on to three realities from these chapters uh, and really from, from the story of Joseph as a whole that I believe is just absolutely vital for our understanding as Christians and, and not just for our understanding's sake, um, but for, for ultimate, ultimately for our worship to God. So let's just get into that first reality. The first reality is this, God providentially works in all circumstances for his glory and our good. Uh, God providentially works in all circumstances for his glory and our good. Story of Joseph has some really unique features uh, worth noting. You guys have seen this. It spans the final 14 chapters of Genesis. Um, and there, there isn't a person in all of Genesis that the author spends more time highlighting than Joseph. And so we have to ask, why is that so? Let's just think about some of the main characters in the book of Genesis. You've got Adam. You've got Noah. Um, how about the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Um, and then we have Joseph, who isn't uh, a patriarch, 
Um, you could argue he doesn't seem to be as important as those other characters, but he plays such a prominent role in the Genesis narrative. Um, and, and what is also interesting about Joseph is that he plays a prominent role in Genesis, but he gets very little attention uh, in the scripture after that. So um, I think it's easy to overlook some things uh, in this story. Um, and I think mainly it's easy to overlook how this story fits within the Genesis narrative as a whole, uh, and then how it fits into the grander narrative of redemptive history. So how does it fit into the whole story of the Bible? And so one of the themes uh, in the story of jo Joseph that I hope you all have seen so evidently in your time working through the Joseph story is God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty in the unfolding of his plan for Joseph and, and God's intention to carry his covenant promises forward through the life of Jacob and then through Joseph. And God has shown us throughout this entire story uh, that his purposes, they come to pass. That's, that's what sovereignty means. It means that God is in control. God sits enthroned um, above the heavenlies, he is God, and he reigns. And, and scripture uh, attests to this in many places. Um, I uh, was just combing through the book of Job, and, and Job says this in Job 42, too. He says this about God. Uh, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Um, all over the Psalms, you see writing like this. I will just picked one Psalm uh, verse here in Psalm 135. Uh, verse six says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all the deeps. So the story of Joseph, um, it speaks of God's sovereignty, uh, but it's, it's not merely about God just sitting up there and doing whatever he wants, just sitting up there and doing as he pleases. Um, it's, it's really much more than that. And so near the end of the story in chapter 50, um, you guys will remember uh, a few chapters back, Joseph's father, Jacob, um, he has already passed away. And he's finally able to reunite with Joseph after the many years of just intense grief and sadness. He, he believed his son, Joseph, to be dead. And, and you'll remember that it was Joseph's brothers who deceived him into thinking that Joseph had been attacked by a fierce animal, when in actuality, his brothers, uh, they were filled with hate and jealousy, and they just wanted to dispose of him. And so they sold him into slavery, uh, and then great suffering followed for Joseph. And so here in chapter 50, um, at this point in the story, the very end of the story, uh, Joseph's on the other side of that tragic journey. In recent days, um, he's experienced great favor from God, uh, and he's seen very well in the eyes of Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh, because of what Pharaoh has seen in Joseph's life, Pharaoh has raised him up to be second in command over all of Egypt. And then just prior to this, to this Joseph's brothers, they come to Egypt uh, in search of food. They, they have no idea that they're going to run into their brother. Um, they think he's dead for all they know, uh, but they come to Egypt because uh, there's a famine in the land and they are desperate and they need food. And so here we are, chapter 50, Joseph's already looked past uh, uh, their misdeeds. He's forgiven his brothers uh, and now he's moved his family to Egypt to be under his care during the terrible famine. 
And Father Jacob, Jacob, he's already passed away. Um, and he got to have some years, some, some years, some final years of his life together uh, with his sons. And he dies a really satisfied man. So chapter 50, here we are. His dad dies. And Joseph's, Joseph's brothers, um, they are a little bit uneasy after Jacob's death. Uh, they're still dealing with the guilt and the shame of their past. They, they can't get over what they did to Joseph. And so now their dad's gone and they're thinking retribution is here. Like our time has come. Um, Joseph's finally going to get revenge on us. He was just waiting for Jacob to die. He was waiting for our dad to die. So uh, our dad wouldn't have to see this, but it's time. Um, and so I want you guys to look at this glorious passage with me. Uh, Genesis. This is 50, starting with verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please for forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept and they spoke to him. Uh, when they spoke to him, his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear for I am in or for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Well, friends, I want us, I want us to zero in on that verse 20 uh, where Joseph tells his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Just think about that. After all J uh, Joseph has been through, can, can you believe that? The, the inexplicable pain, the betrayal um, of his own brothers, the, the feelings of complete abandonment that he must have felt. Um, and, and just when things couldn't have gone any worse, he, he was falsely accused. He was thrown into prison. Um, it seems like a situation impossible to forgive. Uh, but Joseph says to his brothers, weeping, you meant evil against me but God meant it for good. Well, it's in, it's in light of this verse, that verse number 20, that we are to interpret and read the entire story of Joseph. Because through everything that Joseph experienced, the deepest lows and the highest highs, that God was with him. He knew that God was with him. He knew that God would keep his covenant promises no matter what. And he would do that by his providence. Now, we just talked about sovereignty, how it means God is in control. He does as he pleases. He reigns and rules. Well, providence is just kind of a fancy word for purposeful sovereignty. Um, so basically, just imagine God's sovereignty having purpose working in and through every circumstance for his glory and for uh, the good of Joseph, the good of his people. And isn't this what we see in, in the whole story of Joseph? We see God work through evil, the evil acts of his brothers, his captors. Remember Potiphar and the false accusations of Potiphar's wife, uh, his experience, Joseph's experience in prison, 
we see God work through him, uh, even when he interpreted dreams for other prisoners. Um, those dreams, that, that, that moment uh, actually led to uh, him having access to Pharaoh. Um, we see God working through him, showing power to Pharaoh when Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams. Um, and you'll remember, Joseph gives glory to God the entire time. Um, to, to then have Pharaoh see the power of God in Joseph and to place Joseph into the second ranking position in all of Pharaoh's kingdom. And so all of this uh, is showing us that God uses his providence to secure promises and to carry his purposes forward. And so throughout the whole journey, Joseph knows this about God. He knows that this is how God works. Um, remember, uh, if you want, you can flip back to this chapter here. Um, chapter 45, uh, Joseph finally makes himself known to his brothers. Uh, his brothers show up to get food and, and he makes himself known to them. He tests them a little bit. Um, and in chapter 45, verse 9 uh, through 9, he, he, it says this. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. Friends, Joseph knew how God worked. Do, do we believe that this is how God works? Do we actually trust that as Paul says in the book of Romans, Romans eight twenty eight, he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Can we as Christians say, as we look at our current circumstances, that God is really working all things together for good because he's called us according to his purposes? Do you believe this? Especially right now, we're, we're in a world that is filled with peril. We're, we're in a world that is enduring a pandemic. Uh, there's so much anxiety about the future. Um, there are so many people around me here in, in America, I'm, I'm sure in Malaysia, people worried about uh, losing jobs. Some of us here right now are battling severe illnesses. Maybe we're working th through uh, cancer, different things that are uh, difficult for us medically. And, and in the midst of all of that, do we believe that this is how God works? Um, I'm, I even think about some of us uh, that, that have faced unthinkable abuses by others, um, even, even loved ones. And, and through all of this, um, can we say like Joseph, that what man meant for evil, God meant for good? Do we believe that God is with us in all circumstances, including trial and affliction? Well, friends, he is. God is with us and he is working through all of our circumstances, good and bad. And that doesn't make our experiences any easier, uh, but we trust that God is working through our circumstances for his glory and our good. Um, 
a book that that I've been kind of reading um, over the last month. Um, it's it's a book by a Puritan, it's Francis Watson. Uh, there are these awesome little books called Puritan paperbacks, and I picked up one on Romans eight twenty eight. The entire book is written on uh, all things for good, and there was this one chapter uh, that was talking about how uh, the Lord uses even the worst things to work for the good to the godly and how he uses even affliction in our lives um, for his glory and our good. And so I just wanted to read uh, a few, um, a few quotes in this book that were really encouraging to my soul. And I hope they can be encouraging to you guys. Um, uh, Thomas Watson says this, he says, afflictions to the godly are medicinal. Out of the most poisonous drugs, God ex extracts our salvation. Afflictions are as needful as ordinances. No vessel can be made of gold without fire. So it is impossible that we should be made vessels of honor unless we are melted and refined in the furnace of affliction. And he goes on to say that God makes us no affliction that we may better know ourselves. So God is using our trials. He's using our afflictions. He's using some of the things that we're dealing with right now to refine us like gold. He's increasing dependency on him. And he's doing that because he loves us and he wants us to worship him and he wants us to trust him. And so Joseph knows this. Joseph knows this is how God has been working through every event in his life. Um, and he knows this to be true because he knows that God must preserve his covenant line. He knows that the promises that were made to his fathers, Abraham, remember the promise to Abraham, he says uh, he, he was going to bless the whole world by filling it with his people and multiplying them. He knows, Joseph knows that God plans to redeem his people and he knows that God is using him as a part of his plan. And so it's by faith that Joseph believes that God is using him to preserve the seed of Abraham. At this point in the Bible, the people of God is Jacob's family. This is it. And so Joseph knows, wow, God's using me to preserve his people, which happens to be my family. <laughs> and so um, I think that's just absolutely amazing that he's trusting in God by faith uh, in God's providence. And so this brings us um, to our next point that I want us to grasp. The next reality, uh, which is that the substance of Joseph's faith is the same as the substance of our faith today as Christians. The substance of Joseph's faith, so the meat of his faith, it's the same as our faith today as Christians. And so you might be asking yourselves, what do I mean by that? Uh, that doesn't really make sense. Joseph didn't get to see what we get to see today about Jesus. He didn't know how it would all play out in the end. And so how does it make sense if, if he doesn't see what we see in Jesus, how does his faith match our faith, especially when Jesus is the object of saving faith? And so I mentioned earlier that Joseph, um, he's hardly mentioned anywhere else in scripture, uh, but that he plays a prominent role in the story of Genesis. But there's one chapter all the way in the New Testament, if you guys want to flip to this chapter in the book of Hebrews, it's Hebrews chapter 11. Um, this is one of the only times uh, that Joseph is mentioned in all of the New Testament. So it's Hebrews 11, and this chapter is particularly famous. It's called the Hall of Faith chapter. Um, and in this chapter, the, it's, it's just magnificent. The writer of Hebrews, he gives this wonderful definition of faith, and he shows how the old saints 
of the Old Testament, how they received saving blessings by faith, and how we in the New Covenant can actually emulate their faith. So I want you to read with me uh, the two short verses regarding uh, particularly Jacob and Joseph. Um, we'll start with verse 21. Verse 21 tells us, um, this is about Jacob, it says, By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Now, that is referring to the situation that you guys might remember from Genesis 48. When Jacob, he's nearing death, and you remember that Jacob, he wanted to bless Joseph's sons uh, before he died, Joseph's sons Ephraim and, and Manasseh. And what is most significant about Jacob's blessing uh, is that it shows us that Jacob trusted that God would keep his promises and that God would continue his saving blessing through Joseph's sons. And so it is by faith that he anticipated a future that would display God's saving faithfulness. And then let's look at verse 22. This one's about Joseph. It says in verse 22, the writer of Hebrews, he says, by faith, Joseph at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. So that verse is actually referring to Genesis 50, verses 24 and 25. And just like Jacob, uh, in this instance, we see that Joseph is also displaying a future-oriented, forward-looking faith. Um, he's anticipating the salvation of the Israelites through the exodus out of Egypt into the promised land. So this is actually amazing because he has no idea uh, what's going to happen in the story of Exodus, right? Exodus happens in the future. But by faith, he believes that and he knows that God is going to bring his people out of Egypt. This is amazing. It's absolutely amazing that he trusts that God will keep promises and he will deliver his people. And his faith is forward-looking. And you can read about that story later on in Exodus. It's amazing. Well, uh, Joseph, he was looking forward to this day. And so uh, are you guys picking up on the character of this kind of faith? It's, it's a, it's a forward-looking, it's a future-oriented faith. And in the story of Joseph, the entire time, he's motivated by this faith throughout his whole journey. He is looking to the future when he's in prison, when he's being betrayed by his brothers. Um, he, he's no, he knows that God is going to use him to save and preserve his people through circumstances of suffering, opposition, and, and even in times of judgment. He knows that's how God works. But if we talk about our faith as compared to his, Joseph, he was only able to catch a glimpse of what we see now. Today, 21st century, Malaysia and America, where I am now, we get to see how it all played out. We have the whole Bible in our hands. We see that all of God's covenant promises were finally fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so we have the privilege of knowing who the Messiah is, the Messiah that all the prophets of the old and God's people were longing for. And so uh, our faith now it looks back at what Christ has accomplished on the cross, right? We look back at what he did for us. Uh, but like Joseph, our faith is also future-oriented because what are we doing? We are looking forward to his return. We long for his return where he will establish a perfect kingdom, where he will finally fulfill his plan, establish his rule and reign here on earth. And 
that is an amazing hope that we have. That's a kingdom that is going to be absolutely glorious. Just picture um, Jesus ruling and reigning in this earth, no pain, no suffering, no pandemics, just the pure joy and bliss of being with Jesus in his presence. So friends, may we emulate the faith of Joseph looking forward in hope. Well, I want us now to reach the summit of our time by looking at the person of Joseph just a little bit more. That when we look at Joseph long enough, we will see Jesus. When we look at Joseph long enough, we will see Jesus. So right off the bat, I just want to say what I'm not saying uh, when I say that. I'm not saying that Joseph is the pre-incarnate Jesus or that uh, he mystically becomes Jesus. I'm not saying anything like that. That would be erroneous. That would be heresy. And so I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that Joseph is a type of Christ. Joseph is a type of Christ. And what I mean by that is that Joseph, he points us forward to Jesus through the circumstances of his life and the way that God uses him. So when we read the story of Joseph, we are to put on our, our Jesus goggles. We want to look for Christ in that story. Um, as, as Christians, when we read the Old Testament, we want to employ what, what theologians call a Christ-centered hermeneutic. In other words, a Christ-centered method of reading uh, and interpreting the Old Testament. And we not only want to do that because we believe the Old Testament anticipates and predicts Jesus as the coming Messiah, but we also want to do this because Jesus himself interpreted the Old Testament this way. You might remember Luke's gospel, um, chapter 24, verse 24. Jesus says um, this about uh, the Old Testament. He says, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Jesus himself he understood that what came before him in the Old Testament pointed to fulfillment in him. So that doesn't mean that we should force Jesus into places in the Old Testament where he's not. That doesn't mean every verse we read, we're asking, where's Jesus in this verse? Uh, Jesus wasn't saying that about himself when he, when he said uh, that all the Old Testament was fulfilled in him. He wasn't saying that he was literally everywhere in the Old Testament. But what he is saying uh, is that everything that is about him in the Old Testament must be fulfilled in him. You see, all of redemptive history, the whole of scripture reveals God's unfolding of his plan of salvation through his covenants to find ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. So Jesus is all over the Old Testament. And so the question we have to ask today as we look at the story of Joseph is, what does the story of Joseph tell us about Jesus? And I just want to, I said this at the beginning of, of um, our time that um, we don't want to leave our time in the story of Joseph uh, with the main takeaway or the main point being be like Joseph. We don't want to leave with just a character assessment of Joseph. Uh, if we were to leave the story like that, we will have missed the gold that is beneath the surface of the story. You see, the story of Joseph is a story of God's glory through a suffering life that pursued the Lord. He was a man who was rejected and hated. 
He was sent ahead to save his lost brothers. He was stripped of his robe. Remember that colorful robe he was given? He was stripped of his robe. He was sold for some silver coins. He was handed over to his enemies. Um, and after his suffering, what happened? He was elevated to a kingly position in order to preserve and save his people. Friends, does that not remind you of Jesus? Does that not remind you of the story of Christ, the ultimate triumph over evil? Jesus, the suffering servant who was also betrayed and abandoned by his own people, his own family. We see his own family sort of ashamed of him, rejected by them. In the midst of that, Jesus stays the course, knowing the will of God, knowing the will of his father. He resists temptation and he points to his father's glory the whole time, just like Joseph, knowing that the father would fulfill his final promise of salvation by not sparing his own son in order to triumph over sin and death through the greatest humiliation and suffering on the cross and then the glorious resurrection from the dead. And Jesus was raised as the eternal king, reigning and ruling and continuing to save people. So when we read the story of Joseph, what we're seeing is a foretaste of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Joseph's faith, it was a future-oriented faith, and he knew that God would preserve his family in order to continue the covenant line. He didn't see what would happen in full. He didn't see how it would all play out. But by faith, he knew God would save his people. Uh, and the story of Joseph, it anticipates a coming Messiah who would take away the sins of the world. And so, folks, this, this story, it points us to a better Joseph, uh, a perfect Joseph. And um, few explain this conclusion conclusion to the Joseph story more clearly than Sally Lloyd-Jones in the Jesus Storybook Bible. This is a glorious children's book. If you guys don't have it, our kids were working through it uh, at IBCBI, the younger kids, when we were gathering together. Um, but I came across the story of Joseph, and she says it so with such simplicity and so clearly. And I just want to um, leave you with Sally Lloyd-Jones, how she would say it. Uh, she says this, one day God would say, sent another prince, a young prince whose heart would break. Like Joseph, he would leave his home and his father. His brothers would hate him and want him dead. He would be sold for pieces of silver. He would be punished even though he had done nothing wrong. But God would use everything that happened to this young prince, even the bad things, to do something good, to forgive the sins of the whole world. Friends, when, when you read the story of Joseph. Do you see Jesus? Well, it's my hope that um, from our time in Joseph, um, that we would see a God that providentially works in all circumstances for his glory and for our good. He is working for each and every one of you who have been called according to his purposes. So I want to encourage you, encourage myself, my family, cling to the sovereign grace even in the mud, hold on to him, our perfect savior. And when we, when we read this story again, I hope that we will see that the substance of Joseph's faith is the same as ours today as Christians. It's a forward-looking, future-oriented faith that lives in anticipation and hope of his return. We want the Lord to come back. Are we praying for him to return? 
Um, and are we sharing that hope with others? Are we sharing our faith with others? And then uh, my final hope when we read this story is that we would see Jesus, that it would remind us of Christ saving us through his perfect life, his death and resurrection. My hope is that we would see a picture of the gospel in the life of Joseph. Uh, let us pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us this wonderful story. Um, this story of redemption, this story that points us to um, a greater fulfillment in Jesus and uh, that we get to see what it is that Christ accomplished for us uh, on the cross. We have the full story. We get to see it in the New Testament. We have the whole Bible. And it's so amazing that now, um, as your son did, uh, we can look back at the Old Testament um, and we can look for um, glimpses and types and pictures of uh, your Messiah, your son Jesus, who would come to take away the sins of the world. So thank you, Lord, that we have the story of Joseph is one of the many stories uh, that can help us fix our eyes on the cross. Thank you for this time that IBCBI has um, had to just journey through the story of Joseph. And we just pray that it wouldn't be a story um, that we would forget about, that we would return to it again and again, and that it would always be a sweet, sweet encouragement to our souls, uh, and that it would give us a greater confidence in you. Lord, I pray for us here today that you would fill our hearts with peace knowing that you are a God that will work in and through our circumstances for our good. You're refining us. You're making us more like yourself. We don't understand how it's all playing out, but we know you're good. So we pray that you would just help us to believe this. In Jesus' name, amen.